Happy New Year and welcome to the second season of Small Shop Fundraising. Today you're going to hear a quote that goes like this. Early on, we stopped using the pandemic as our excuse. Learn more about how that was successful for for them right now. Hello and welcome to Small Shop Fundraising, a podcast dedicated to small to medium-sized nonprofits and the topics and issues facing them today. I'm your host, Liz Heck. We are talking about performing arts today. We have on our podcast, Bert Griffin, who is the current Chief Development Officer at the Louisville Orchestra in Louisville, Kentucky. He is a longtime veteran of fundraising and, in full disclosure, happens to be my brother. Bert, welcome to the show. And happy 2021. All right. So thanks again for being here. Uh, we're excited to talk to you about, you know, what you're doing with the performing arts and how 2020 fared for uh, the performing arts, especially with the orchestra, since that is what your background is. But before we get into all of that, I would like for you to tell our audience about your uh, journey to your current position and how that impacted your ability to raise money for the organizations that you've been with. Okay. Well, um, as I believe everyone heard on previous podcast episodes, uh, our mother is a fundraiser, um, so kind of grew up around it. Uh, She was one of the first uh, development officers at our local university's campus, which was actually a a similar role that I had right before I moved to the orchestra. Originally, I went into banking, was fairly good at banking uh, when I started. I was on some of their management training programs, um, discovered very early on uh, that that was not exactly the uh, absolute right fit for me. I then moved into a role of working with uh, our mother doing science, international science and engineering fairs. Uh, she had gotten a contract doing that, discovered that I really enjoyed the event planning aspect of it, the outreach aspect of it, major gift aspect of it. And basically it was just talking to people one-on-one, uh, which I'm the most comfortable with. Moved along from there into campaigns, uh, continued my education, went to the Lilly School, uh, got my uh, certificate in fundraising management, um, spent about 10 to 12 years kind of traveling the country, working for different nonprofits as a uh, consultant for Griffin Fundraising and Marketing. I went ahead and tested for and got my CFRE, Certified Fundraising Executive, um, moved into social services fundraising, spent a stint there about two years, then moved into higher ed, spent about seven and a half years in higher education fundraising. It was in higher education fundraising that I made some wonderful contacts uh, locally um, with some fine individuals um, and really peer mentors who recruited me onto the Louisville Orchestra board. I spent about two and a half years on the board. When the outbreak originally happened, they reached out to me as a board member and asked me if I could kind of come and help and oversight. And then that transitioned into, would you be willing to come on and uh, lead us through the fundraising efforts because of what's happening globally during this pandemic? It's truly, I mean, that, and those are just the high points. Um, It's truly been a remarkable journey for you, Bert. I really am very proud of all the work that you have done for the city of Louisville specifically, and then just being a leader in our community. And a lot of things just struck me that I'd never really thought about asking you before. And I know you also have your, your master's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got my master's. Uh, 
was in the middle of a campaign for a, a small local college where I was chief advancement officer here in Louisville. During that time period, I realized that I'd become eligible because they had a wonderful benefits package where they believed that education was important. I had hit enough years of service where I could go back and get my master's for free. And that was a price that I could not pass up. Mm-hmm. And it had always been a goal of mine to get a master's. So with the blessing of my very supportive wife, I spent uh, the next about two years, maybe two and a half years doing night classes, which made for some interesting days because I would start my days off on the uh, upper floor until about six o'clock where I'd walk downstairs and then I would sit in the class until about 10, 1030. And then I'd leave for the day. Many, many a day I'd get in before the sun came up and leave well after the sun went down. That's dedication. And that's grit. And the other thing that you mentioned with your master's degree, you have your CFRE as well. And for our listeners who might be wondering what type of professional development would be best for them, do you have an opinion on what to do first? It's a great question. And it's one that I try to work with everybody who's on my team. And I had several people who've worked with me who we put them on the track and got them to CFREs and other ones, CFREs and masters from an educational standpoint. You know, it really depends on what you want to do with your career. A CFRE is great, especially if you think you're going to leave, you know, if you're going to move and move into different, uh, different areas. Uh, basically, a CFRE tells people that you have a wide breadth of knowledge. It won't show that you go deep into any area. That means you can cover everything from volunteers and direct mail into capital campaigns and endowment campaigns and plan giving, pretty much the entire spectrum of fundraising. So you have a wide breadth of knowledge and understanding of every topic. Now that only will enhance, it won't substitute for, but only enhance a standing resume. And that will actually show what your accomplishments are. Now there is no beating a master's um, as far as, or uh, any type of higher education, as far as just going out there and getting it to have it. But nothing, especially in fundraising, or any real uh, job set beats hands-on experience. Showing that you're actually capable of doing the work that you can pivot and then having a very proven uh, track record. You can't take donors from one organization to another. A lot of folks think you can, you really can't. You know, if I'm interested in giving to my local animal shelter and that's all I give to, you're not going to, and it's dog focused, I'm not all gonna suddenly become a cat person overnight because the fundraiser moved over to this nonprofit that works with cat outreach. My heart's still gonna be over at dogs, but that fundraiser can take that same skill set and move it over to there and cultivate and work with those new donors. And that's why nothing beats the overall experience and getting as much knowledge as you can in whatever, either if you wanna specialize in a certain area or if you wanna be kind of broad spectrum, you know, you also mentioned the fact that you were on the board of the Louisville Orchestra for quite some time before then moving over into a more of a staff function. Is that normal? And would you suggest people who are looking for employment in nonprofit jump on boards to then show their skills as a volunteer? Like, I think everyone should volunteer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think community outreach is something that is one of the greatest gifts you can give back to where you live. I read a a great book during this kind of interesting uh, times. And it kind of went through the meaning of life. And it was basically, you know, the the author got to the conclusion that if everyone treated life as if it was a game, but the only way to win the game was to improve both yourself and your life and the lives for everyone around you, and then play that to win. Imagine what would happen if everybody played that same game to win that direction to try to enhance everything around them. 
and I, I spent a long time thinking about kind of that direction and overall thought process. So I don't recommend that anybody joins a board just to go looking for a job. Volunteerism and giving should come from the heart. All giving and volunteerism should come from the heart. If you're joining boards and organizations thinking that you're gonna get something big out of it, like a role, I don't recommend that. Now, if you're going for experience, if you wanna try a different sector, if you wanna try your hand at something new to see if you like it, or if you just have a natural gift in that overall direction, I would recommend that. But no, I don't think it's very common for folks to leave a board and then go work directly for the nonprofit that they happen to be serving for. I was actually very happy in the role I had before at University of Louisville. It was a great role. I really like my boss. Uh, we still talk. I've been very, very blessed to have worked with a lot of great people. Thank you so much for that brief introduction to your the journey of Burt Griffin. And then also answering some some tough questions about, you know, how someone could get from where they are today to bettering themselves for a position in the nonprofit world. Let's talk about the Louisville Orchestra. Give us a, a quick snapshot of what the Louisville Orchestra, the size, the, the scope of the organization, and then tell us about how it's been impacted in 2020. So the Louisville Orchestra in of itself uh, has about 50 plus musicians as well as a main conductor, a maestro, if you will, um, a gentleman by the name of Teddy Abrams, who is probably the arts and cultural guru of Louisville. I would recommend anybody who gets a chance to listen to him speak, do so. He is nothing short of a genius. Uh, I believe he went to college in his teens, understands uh, the musicality of multiple genres. It's just, and he's just a very, warm and welcoming human being. That group of musicians, artists, are been supported by a staff of about 20 individuals. Now that makes up the folks that are paid. Uh, then we have the board of directors. Uh, we have community friends and volunteers. We have uh, several other smaller supporting groups that have made up of different nonprofits. The Association of the Louisville Orchestra being one great example. They do many fundraisers for us. They host events, they host parties. The musicians have their own nonprofit as well as a, uh, they're part of a national union. It takes all those groups kind of coming together to form what I would actually consider the entire body stakeholder of the Louisville Orchestra. And that's, and it's actually been wonderful. It was a, you know, a little different onboarding during the middle of a, uh, everybody working from home, kind of national pandemic. And then once you went into the office, everyone was wearing masks. But it's been a very smooth transition. I think the role of every head of advancement is to kind of set a plan and set a direction and then figure out where they themselves can do the most good inside of an organization. And when I say that, I mean, some organizations need someone to be the very out front person, asking for the gift, getting the gift, soliciting the gift. Some folks, organizations need that front person, that uh, head of the advancement to make sure that the data is flowing smoothly, be the office manager to kind of do the day-to-day. -day. So it's up to whoever's going to run uh, the fundraising component to figure out where the need is, and then basically try to make sure that all the positions are covered. You're kind of the uh, jack of all trades to figure out if there's a hole, how can either you fill it or make sure that it's filled. We were very fortunate that we had Teddy, who's an amazing local leader, as well as some key individuals, key volunteers who stepped up in tremendous ways and kind of led us through this fundraising effort. We took the approach. Uh, I'd called a few key members prior to, uh, after I'd been offered the job and accepted, 
And we decided to take the approach as if it was a, a campaign that we were gonna go through this time period, not as if it was an annual fund, but we are going to set it up like it was a, a true campaign that we are setting a new direction. This was a great tragedy that was happening, but it was also an opportunity for us to pivot and move and set a vision in a direction that we've been wanting to set for some time. And this would allow us to start laying groundwork. And that's kind of the way we took the fundraising aspect of 2020. Um, and our fiscal year actually doesn't end until May. And that's what we're kind of looking at towards the 21-22 fiscal year as well, is how do we set a long-term vision? How do we move towards that longer-term vision and show people that we're not just going to do the day-to-day, -day, we're not just an organization that's going to, I mean, we are, we're going to do the concerts, we're going to do the classics, we're going to do the pop concerts, we're going to do the community outreach, but how do we enhance that? How do we improve upon it? How do we try to include more people? How do we make it more available? Try to look for the silver lining when I can find it. You know, this pandemic allowed us to look at technology such as recording our concerts live, then being able to broadcast those concerts live at a greatly reduced price. You know, instead of being $75 a person to come see a concert, it was now $75 and you could watch virtually. Uh, we had six concerts. You also got uh, access to some of our small ensemble pieces. What that allowed us to start thinking even more, how do we do more outreach that's similar to that? How do we make these options available to more folks? Well, during that period, we said, well, what if we had free drive-ins? What if we broadcast it up on a screen? It allowed for social distancing. It allowed us to reach a contingent of folks who maybe couldn't even afford the $75. Uh, we rented out a local drive-in. That then laid the groundwork for us to have conversations looking at 21, 22, 22, 23 and go, okay, we've had success doing this free outreach. There are people that, that want to see this who maybe aren't your traditional come to a, a concert and, and sit in the seats individual. How do we keep moving that forward? So wait a minute, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You took a pandemic that everyone has been struggling through. The Kentucky Nonprofit Network is doing these surveys and is showing people are getting leaner and furloughing people and people are transitioning out of the nonprofit industry. You took this struggling time and you're telling us that you made it into a positive to grow your organization? We made it into a positive to grow the way our organization thought about completing its overall mission. But while staying true to our roots, we've always been an organization that believed in educational outreach. Mm -hmm. But now we're having those conversations, not only a local level, when I say local, JCPS is the second, uh, Jefferson County Public Schools is the second largest school district in the United States. So it's extraordinarily large, 100,000 plus K through 12 students. But we're also talking to folks in Southern Indiana. We're talking to folks throughout the state of Kentucky and Eastern Kentucky and Western Kentucky about, okay, we have captured content. We don't necessarily need to be there in person to be able to do some of our outreach. And as long as we have conversations that now make it more cost-effective and, and affordable. Now, have we had some struggles? Yes, early on, like everyone else, we need to do furloughs. I'm happy to say, starting January 1, our office furloughs are no longer gonna happen. Congratulations. We, we had a reduction by 20% in time. It was through planning, it was through volunteer outreach, and it was through effort. And yes, we did take the opportunity to look at, okay, what are we currently doing? And what do we wanna do? And is there a way in which we can keep our mission going and pivot a little so that we now look at how do we do 
our mission in a new way. It certainly seems that you took the word pivot and changed it to mean not just pivoting from a in-person event to a virtual one and keeping it the same, you know, structure, just being online, but really pivoting a lot more and going a little deeper into what your strategies and your mission is and really how you're reaching out to audiences. Is that something that you've seen across the performing arts or is this something unique to the Louisville Orchestra? Some of the things we are doing is unique to us. Now, and you say unique, there's always going to be examples where two or three groups or a handful of groups are going to be having some of the similar concepts and similar ideas. We're blessed in that we just built this state-of-the-art facility, Old Foresters, Paris Town Point, that was this beautiful brain uh, child of uh, one of our local philanthropists who wanted to give back and kind of have a new way of looking at music. So we had this safe environment that had these cameras and this high-end acoustic recording devices in place. You know, and, and I look around at some of our peer organizations, you know, there's you know, Indianapolis Orchestra, it's, it's, it's no secret they went dark for a year. Nashville's orchestra went dark for a year. And we made the conscious choice that we did not want Louisville to, to lose its art scene. And to me, that was important because my family early on during the pandemic had leaned more and more into music, more and more into the arts. Um, we even went kind of old school and we bought our first record player. Uh, but yeah, no, the, it was Teddy's um, as well as some of our other artistic directors' vision on how it is we're going to look at the way in which we are meeting the mission and meeting the needs of the community. What kind of lessons do you feel like you have learned in, for fundraising efforts and your organization has learned that will carry on into 2021? You know, for us, very early on, we quit using the pandemic as an excuse we moved into vision. We moved into where we want to go. Small Shop Fundraising is brought to you by Griffin Fundraising and Marketing, a consulting firm here to help nonprofits with their fundraising and marketing goals. Go to gfmky.com to learn more. So we've been talking with Bert Griffin, the Chief Development Officer from the Louisville Orchestra, and we're talking about the lessons learned from 2020 that can improve or help in 2021 as they move forward. Bert, let's talk more about that. Fabulous question, because what the lessons we learned and the lessons that we want to make sure we carry forward are the natural things that I think sometimes we as development folks and we as fundraisers and we as nonprofits and we as board members and community volunteers, what we've learned is one, stay positive. It's easy to sit back and, and, and be negative. It's easy to go, woe is me, what are we going to do? But you're much better off staying positive and looking towards your accomplishments and talking about your accomplishments and, and achieving, no matter what that achievement is, and then talking about the process. The next thing we learned was vision. Vision is everything. You need to show people, okay, we're doing X, Y, and Z. We're doing the virtual right now because uh, a, it's a great way to meet our mission and to do outreach. B, we've now found a way that we can actually increase our outreach. Uh, we have folks that are watching Louisville Orchestra in France and China and uh, Russia and Australia. I mean, pretty much all over uh, the globe have tuned in at some point 
just to watch our show. So now we know, okay, we need to work on making it more available. And then taking that and then showing, okay, we're doing this now because we hope to do this next. And then that's going to be part of our outreach moving forward. And we'd like to go in this direction, but also with the understanding that you're going to reevaluate every six months. You, you may have a five-year plan and every six months, maybe every three months, you're going to look at it and make sure go, okay, do we need to readjust course? Do we need to shift just a little bit in order to make sure that we are accomplishing what we set out to accomplish? Or is there new goals that need to be met? You know, are there certain things that the community needs, this being more mission focused or that the community has asked for that we can do? Now, all that being said, you have to make sure you do that, do that without having mission creep. And that was uh-huh. probably the third thing that we learned. You can't do everything but you need to stay focused on what you can do. You know, we are a, a cultural performing arts organization. As individuals, we can go do help and we can do outreach and we can volunteer. As an organization, we're set up to do music. We're set up to do music education. We're set up to basically entertain and, and bring culture. We are not set up to build houses like a habitat. Now, we can go volunteer and do that, but we shouldn't, and that's an extreme example, and I understand that, but we need to always make sure that we avoid mission creep and stay focused in on, on where our true selves are. This time period has helped us reevaluate all three of those and understand that if you can get those moving forward, you're going to be in a great position. I keep going back to, the, to what you said earlier. Quit using the pandemic as an excuse not to do X, Y, or Z within your mission. But then also make sure that you're you're not doing mission drift uh, or mission creep, and that you're you're staying lean and doing the things that you can do as an organization as you are today. Many times those hats they pile up, and that that can create other issues as well, don't you think? It can create other issues, and you have to obviously be aware of how many hats you're wearing. We actually, it's funny, we did a reevaluation. And realize that now is actually a time to hire a grant writer full time because grants in and of itself had to creep into other areas and it was taking up bandwidth. And then we were also seeing that there was going to be a lot of opportunities in the arts and cultural sector for grants coming out in 21, 22. And we need to have our best foot forward. And we are actually now in a financial position where we can afford to hire another salary and bring on a new individual. And it's a plus that it's going to be a money generating uh, individual. But this allows us to not have to have one person be the major gifts and endowment and this and that, but try to break up some of those multiple hats that people are wearing. Yeah, um, absolutely. And that's what sometimes when I'm talking about pivot, sometimes I'm talking about that. You know, sometimes it's not always about leaning down. Sometimes it's about, okay, is our pipeline getting ready to burst or could we better improve the flow rate if we made the pipe just a little bit bigger so people weren't overextending themselves? Right. So think about how you can bring more people into your organization, uh, even if it's someone who might not be a full-time staff person as small to medium-sized nonprofits may not be ready for. However, figuring out a way to delegate. Well, d- delegate to more folks um, and or just putting everything down. You know, If you're a small nonprofit, you should be looking at all your granting opportunities and rating them and going, okay, what percentage chance do we really have it all do? And then figure out how much time you have to spend. 
if you're getting to certain ones and you have people putting pressure on you, you can look them in the eye and go, we have a 10% chance of actually dropping. I think our efforts are best served here, here, and here, where we feel like we're more at a 60 or 70%, or even 80, 90% chance of receiving those. But here are the materials if you'd like to step up and help, or if you know someone who might come on and help on a per case basis. You know, I've we've had a lot of success with other groups that I've worked with with that, but yeah. it's you have to either decide how you're going to be lean, and it's not always staffing. Sometimes it's just the amount of work you take on and where you're focused. And I, I kind of alluded to earlier, it is the head of advancements or head of development's job to figure out where they need a fit. Their other part of their fit is where are we getting the best ROI with the players we have, with the staff we have, with the volunteers we have or stakeholders, where am I going to get the best ROI? You know, is it events? Is it, you know, do we have enough people to follow up on an event? Can we do the event correctly? Can we make the follow-up calls? Is it doing major gifts? Is it doing annual mail appeals? Where should we be placing our resources that will give us the highest yield of ROI? And include yourself. Where should I spend my time? And it may change from month to month. You know, three months ago, I spent two weeks writing grants. The next two weeks, I spent on the phone calling major donors. The next two or three weeks, I spent uh, supporting our volunteers and staff as they were doing their outreaches to make sure they had the proper uh, materials and follow-ups were in place in order to secure those gifts. Sometimes you have to lead from the front, and sometimes you have to lead from the back. Sometimes you have to lead from the front, and sometimes you have to lead from the back. That's a great thought for people to have in their mind as they move forward into 2021. And speaking of 2021, I want to know, do you have your crystal ball with you? Yeah. Okay, great. How do you think 2021 is going to differ from 2020? I think it's going, I think 2021 is going to be a challenging time to fundraise for all groups, especially the front half of it. As we're going through these vaccines and as we're going through this almost, let's see what the reopening looks like. A lot of stuff's going to depend on how we roll that out and can we come back together as people. Emotions are high. People are getting tired. We're still seeing folks be very generous and we're still seeing folks step up in tremendous ways, but it's going to be up to the nonprofit to produce their mission to produce, I hate saying the word product, but really the services that you offer is your product. And nonprofits who can show folks that they're staying in mission, that they have a vision, and that they're able to keep moving forward are going to have a much easier time fundraising in 21 than those that shutter and have shuttered in place or those that aren't able are unwilling to complete the mission, are still citing the pandemic as a reason why they can't do anything. So you're saying it's more than just we're still here. It's it's we're still here and look at what we've got planned for our nonprofit. I think we are still here, got people through September, maybe October. But coming into November, December, you needed to have shown that we're still here and this is what we're doing or this is what we're going to do. January, February, March, April, you need to show this is how we're doing it. And this is how we're doing the outreach. And this is how we're completing our mission. And this is how we're moving into areas that we know need the help. When we talk about vision and we talk about our education programs, we talk about having virtual lessons online. And we talk about having educational performances where a parent who's trying to teach their child you know, music can just hit a link And you'll have a professional musician teach you about the trombone or teach you about the viola or the violin. Or you'll have a world-renowned conductor 
on the piano talking about this is what this composer was thinking when they wrote this that's meeting the need of where we're at right now but simultaneously then we can also then kind of allude to it later or earlier say well this is how we're going to do outreach out into areas that maybe don't have world-renowned conductor and a world-renowned orchestra in their city either in the state of kentucky or maybe even some of our surrounding areas this is how we can cost effectively reach out to them and share the beauty that is this art great great answer and i think it's really important information for the entire nonprofit sector and industry to understand what 2021 is going to look like and the hard truth that we're not back to normal and and i don't know that there's going to be a back to normal for anyone and and that includes the nonprofit industry. And so thank you so much for, for being on the show with us today. Got a couple more questions for you that we're going to wrap up with. These are my one common questions I ask most every guest, these four common questions. What one thing do you love most about the nonprofit sector? The entrepreneurial spirit mixed with the servant's heart. Okay, so that was that was very eloquent. But what about something that you love less? about the nonprofit industry? The thing I love least about the nonprofit sector is that nonprofits tend to forget that 501c3 is a business designation, and it shouldn't change the fact that you are, in fact, a business. And I say that, I had a, a conversation a couple months ago now where I mentioned if you have two businesses that are doing the same thing in the same sector, in the same area, serving the same group of people, a lot of times they merge, and the IP that is there is saved. And nonprofits too often will see one nonprofit that may be doing better than another nonprofit, but this other nonprofit, instead of looking to merge, will just go away. And then you lose all that intellectual property. You lose that IP, that entrepreneurial spirit that this group had because there's no easy way for them to merge or they don't think that way. They don't they think about themselves as being a nonprofit and not a business. Too often we'll see organizations they'll fall away but they could have been merged in and that IP and that thought process and that spirit could go to make the other group stronger, but there's no way, there's no mechanism. To- yeah. It becomes very difficult for nonprofits to merge. Sometimes they, some might say they get in their own way in, in some instances, that is a keen observation. What is one of your favorite resources you'd like to share with the listeners? That is a hard question. My nature is I have to know what, who is asking and what they're asking for and then try to move them to the best resource possible. But nine times out of 10, if someone's asking me a, an early on question, I try to move them towards the Lilly School's principles class. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you're coming and you don't know what the language is or you don't understand or what is happening as far as the terminology or giving or anything of, of that nature, it is a great place just for some quick, and by quick, it's a, it's a week-long class, but it gives you a general overview of fundraising from an entire sector. It is a very, very shallow dive in each one of those areas, but at least you have a working knowledge. I can't say enough good things about the Lilly Family School of Fundraising. Um, that actually connects with my next guest, who will be on, she's been on before. Her name is Jackie Jacqueline or Jackie Ackerman. She is the associate director for the Lilly School of Fundraising's the Women's Philanthropy Institute. The last question we've got here, Bert, is what is one thing you're doing or seeing in the performing arts sector 
to impact diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've actually had a lot of conversation recently about that, which is one thing I'm actually seeing more of. People are having more and more open conversations about the need for diversity, not just for the sake of diversity, but for the sake of having different inputs because it is a good thing to have that different mindset because it is a good thing. Forming arts, as far as the, the musician side, it, it, it's difficult because they, they host blind, blind auditions, so you all you can actually hear is them play. You can't, yeah. you, know, you, you can't judge them based on anything else um, other than the play of music, which makes it hard to have an intentional effort. We try to make sure that our guest performers have a, a great cross-representation from every walk. If you look at what we just did in the fall, we had everything from Motown to bluegrass to uh, female, male, black, white guest artists who came and performed. I'm seeing more and more of the conversations happening, but I'm also seeing more and more granting organizations put money into actually having plans to make it happen. Because it's one thing to tell an organization, you need to have this happen. It's another thing to say, okay, we want you to have this happen. And here's the money then to go hire an expert to help you make it happen. Uh, one of the positive things that our local fund for the arts has, has done is they brought in a diversity and equity a specialist who is going to help the local arts organizations figure out a plan. You know, kind of like coming up, if you've never done a capital campaign, it's hard to come up with a plan. If you've never done an annual fund, it's hard to come up with a plan. If you've never created a DEI plan, it's hard to come up with a plan. So you hire your consultants and you hire your experts to come in and show you how to do it. Now I'm seeing groups step up and say, here's the money to go hire the expert to show you how to do it. NEA's even got funds available now to be able to go out and hire qualified experts to put plans in place. And that's the big difference I'm seeing. I love that. I love that. And it makes so much sense when you say it that way. If you've never done a capital campaign, it's hard to make a plan. If you've never done a communications plan, it's hard to create that plan. And that's it's the same thing with a DEI plan. I, I think that's very smart on uh, smart lesson learned on small shop fundraising. Last question: Is Star Wars coming back? Uh, the, the orchestra in twenty twenty one. I'm asking You're corporate. Right. I know, I know. You know, it's it, it's it's. Um, we were on a call with a uh, one of our local international uh, bourbon distributors. We were talking about the arts, talking about the arts, talking about the arts, and then all of a sudden, Star Wars came up. We had a couple people I remember who their eyes lit up, and they all went, "Yes, I was at that show. I went to that show. I, I loved that show. It was amazing." Um, and it was the last show I was able to take my my youngest uh, my daughter to, and um, your sister, and my sister. Yes, and my <laughs> sister. Before it was in uh, it was in late February, before the the real close down happened, I, I'm happy to say that if everything moves forward, as soon as we get the clear from uh, the center as well as to make it safe, which hopefully will happen sooner rather than later, we'll be bringing back the Star Wars to continue the uh, the overall trilogy. We love it. It is. I tell people it's the gateway. You bring in folks that have maybe have never been to see the orchestra or really understand it. And they see it and they understand. A lot of folks don't think they've ever heard an orchestra play. And it's never the case. All the Star Wars scores are performed by a full orchestra. Jaws, all the Indiana Jones films, all the Harry Potter films. And when you start explaining that, yes, they have heard it, they just didn't know they've heard it. And they go to those shows. And all of a sudden you've got people understanding why the arts in and of themselves are important. If you're a person that doesn't love Star Wars or Harry Potter Lord of the Rings uh, or the Indiana Jones, like if you find yourself not liking any of those, then, uh, you know, I, I, I don't even know how to talk to you. 
I remember being in my seat listening to the orchestra play. My jaw dropped. My eyes widened. I, I couldn't believe what a difference it makes to have a live orchestra playing uh, in front of the, the movie playing behind them. It was it was amazing. And I was so glad to be able to come to that show. And I you know was really grateful to be there. It was just so much fun. So I'm glad to hear that, uh, that it's going to be back. I want to thank you again for being on uh, Small Shop Fundraising. If people have more questions for you, Burke, is there a way for them to reach out to you? They find yes. you on LinkedIn? They can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, they, can, uh, they can email you at the show. You can forward it on. Um, okay. They can also find me at uh, bgriffin at louisvilleorchestra.org. They are welcome to send me an email there if they have any questions. I always like talking to someone on the phone, especially if they have, especially the small nonprofits, because those tend to be. Well, I'm glad to have you as my first guest for 2021. This is Small Shop Fundraising. I'm your host, Liz Hack. Thanks for listening.